Amen. Well, it was great to see the kids getting their Bibles this morning. Uh, I don't know how many of you, but it just so happens that in second grade, I actually got a Bible. Uh, we were going across the street from the public school, what they called release time uh, for, for the Catholic Church uh, that had a little, uh, a little chapel across the street. And we would get sent over in the afternoon and we'd have this little catechism class. And my parents at the time were were disengaged Catholics, but they wanted me to go to that. So on the way out one day, there was a box by the door, and the people said, hey, take one of the books in the box, take one of the Bibles. And it was one of those, one of those little um, uh, soft cover, good, uh, good news for modern man. And they had the little stick figure illustrations in them. I took that home, and man, I would read that thing. I'd, I'd look at the pictures and uh, was just enamored with it. And that's really where I learned my first stories about Jesus. So uh, those of you, uh, they might, I think they're still in here if you're in second grade. I think you're in here and you got your Bibles. Enjoy them and read them and learn a lot about God from them. I think it was in 2005 in Cincinnati, Ohio, I was at the General uh, Council, which is the now every other year uh, alliance get-together uh, all Alliance Church to send delegates, and it was in an evening uh, session that I ran into uh, Pastor Bill Adams, and Bill had been serving at my church in Orange City. Of course, he left here, and he went to, I think that's how it goes, he left here, and he went to Orange City, and uh, I didn't know that he had served here, but I knew he had served in Orange City, and we got together, and I got to know him a little bit. I was new into the Alliance, and we talked, and we talked, and we talked, and, and after a while, the people he was going to get a ride with back to his hotel had left. So I told him, I'll, gi- I'll give you a ride. I'll, I'll, I can give you a ride to your hotel. And so as we're driving out of the downtown Cincinnati area to his hotel, I'm thinking in my head, I'm going to remember the way to get back, because I was staying at the hotel by the conference center. And I dropped him off, and I, and I turned around to backtrack, and it, you know, it didn't work. It doesn't always work to backtrack, especially when you're in downtown in a city you're not familiar with. And I got to some sections that, to me, were a little intimidating. And the more I drove and turned and drove, and all of a sudden I was in this residential section that wasn't like the residential sections are in Orange City. And... Then it started raining, and I'll never forget these big drops hitting the windshield of this rental car. You know, like these big, huge drops, like one at a time. And, and my, my blood pressure started you know, go up a little bit, and I'm thinking, okay, i, I got to find my way home. 2005, they didn't even have iPhones yet, right? I couldn't get out my phone and get a map to get back. I think I had a flip phone. And so... Uh, I went a little further, and now there are burn barrels on the corners, and the, the residents are starting to accumulate on the corners. I'm getting nervous, so I start driving through stop signs and through red lights because I don't want to stop at this intersection because I'm like the only car at the intersection, and there's a lot of pedestrians milling about, and it's like 1130 at night. Finally, I saw a sign that said the highway this way, and I turned, I made a couple turns, I got back on the highway and made it quickly back to my hotel. I lost my way, and it was unnerving, and it was a little scary at the time, just because I had no idea when I would find my way. What's worse is when churches or Christians lose their way. Sometimes a believer will kind of lose their way, and they'll be lost, and they'll be going down roads and paths they 
shouldn't go down or wouldn't go down if they knew the direction and the way that they should go. And sometimes churches lose their way. Sometimes churches get off and get involved in things that take them off of their primary mission of making disciples for Jesus Christ. So what I've done the last number of years is every fall, I reorient myself and the church that I'm at. I just try to reorient back to the way of Jesus, back to the way that we should be going. And uh, I don't know, maybe it's more for me than it is for anybody else, but this fall is no different. This fall, uh, we're going to do a five-week series starting today called The Way of Jesus. Now, when I was thinking about the way of Jesus, you know, you could ask the question, what is the way of Jesus? I mean, I don't think it's defined by just saying, well, it's Christianity. Christianity is the way of Jesus. It's one of a number of world religions. I don't think it's defined either by our culture because our culture is it's so situational. Like whatever is going on and whatever is in the moment happens to drive everything else. I don't think it's even defined by our denomination or by any denomination because the way of Jesus is kind of... Uh, Transdenominational, right? It's not defined by any particular church. In America, we've got a lot of churches that are, that are modeled after our nation and their democracies, and it's kind of like mob rule in some churches. And I know a lot of churches, because I speak with a lot of pastors, who have stuff going on in their church that isn't the way of Jesus. And it's not even, it's not even personal opinion. Well, I can just decide what the way of Jesus is. We find the way of Jesus in the Gospels. We find the way of Jesus in his word. And so we're going to start a five-week series today. The, the way of Jesus is the way of love. I don't know if you remember last year we had, we had those boxes on the platform over here. And the bottom row of boxes was L-O-V-E, was love, because love is the foundation. Whenever you start talking about God, I don't know how you can start apart from love. And then the second week, we're going to talk about the way of Jesus is the way of prayer. And then the way of Jesus is the way of service. The way of Jesus is the way of the cross. And finally, the way of Jesus is the way of the kingdom or the way of kingdom, kingdom living. That's the way of Jesus. So I want us to orient ourselves back to the way of Jesus. And today, I want to reset the compass to the way of Jesus, whom we follow, right? We follow him, and in the, particularly this morning in the way of love. Now on our phones, we have, these, uh, we have these compass apps that we can flip it up and figure out which way is north. And so when we look at the scriptures, we see that true north for Jesus is love, is, is, is characterized by love. So love is so fundamental that Jesus summarized all of the commandments in the scriptures of his day to one command, and that is to love. And Matthew, in Matthew 22, he records this situation with Jesus and the Pharisees. A lot of, in Matthew, Matthew records a lot of situations before, be, between Jesus and the Pharisees. And in particular, in this passage, it says that, that seeing that uh, he had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. And I would imagine the Pharisees are like uh, any religious leader, any group of religious leaders. They get together and they talk about what they know, they talk about what the truth might be, and they talk about what is, 
and, and they try to make sense of it all, and they saw Jesus speaking to their, uh, in some ways, their counter group, the, the Sadducees, and he, they saw that he had silenced them. And so one of the Pharisees, it says an expert in the law, not just a run-of-the-mill Pharisee, but an expert in the law of Moses. He poses this question to Jesus. And I would imagine also that this is a question that these Pharisees had shared amongst themselves and had discussed and had, had different um, opinions about as to what was the greatest commandment in the law. And so he thought, well, I'm going to ask Jesus. Maybe, maybe this Pharisee was a secret follower of Jesus. And maybe he knew the answer Jesus would give, and it would align with the answer he was giving to his Pharisaical friends. And maybe not. But either way, they pose this question to him. It's often described as a trap for Jesus. Whether it was or not, Jesus knew what he was going to answer. They said, teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law, and Jesus replied, and he replies, quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The greatest commandment because it signified its importance, and the first commandment because it signified its priority, that it came first in the list. But then he says in verse 39, he adds to it, and the second is like it. Because loving God can be kind of ethereal. Kind of, it's like the vapor and the steam. You can't really grab it. It just kind of goes away between your fingers. Loving God is kind of like that. I mean, we can all say, well, I love God. But Jesus offered an illustration of loving God. Love your neighbor as yourself. Speaks to humility and putting somebody else before yourself. So the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says in verse 40, all the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. So in the scriptures of our day, the English Bible, the law would be five books and all the prophets would be, uh, well, let's see, 12 and 5, 16 or 17 of the, like 22 of the 39 books in our Bible would be considered the law and the prophets. And Jesus said, all of those books and all of those teachings, they hang on those two commands. I think that love is the driving force of God's redemptive plan. We see it in God's covenant with Abraham back in Genesis 12, when at the end of chapter 11 of Genesis, the lineage of this guy Abram is mentioned, and a lineage is mentioned, and, and Abram is in it. And then in chapter 12, God says, Abraham, I pick you, you, Abraham, and I'm going to make of you a great nation. And all the nations on the earth are going to be blessed through you. I'm picking on this one guy here in the second row. They're all going to be blessed through you. God made a decision, He made a commitment. And he made a covenant with Abraham. And it was a covenant of love with Abraham. It was not a one it was not a, a two-sided covenant where God said, Abraham, if you do this, then I'll do this. God said, No, Abraham, no matter what, I'm going to come through because I'm going to show my love to you. And it's also found this covenant of love is found in John 3:16, when God says that he so loved the world that he gave. 
I think that love is the primary descriptor of God's relationship with humanity. If the, if the message of the Bible is the, the redemption of mankind through Jesus Christ, the primary descriptor, the thing that describes God's relationship with humanity the best would be love. God's love defines and shapes his other attributes, his holiness, his mercy, his grace, his, his, his omnipresence, all that. They're defined and they're shaped by his love. Without love, all of the other attributes would be pretty confusing. Imagine having a God who is all-powerful but not all-loving. Hmm, what's he going to do today, right? What's going to happen? In fact, I think that love is the highway that all those other attributes travel on. Love makes them possible to be had and to be possessed by one person, by one being. And I think the reason that love is the primary descriptor and and the primary attribute of all the others is because love is not an attribute of God. It's God's essence. God is love. It's part of who God is. It's not how God is. It's who God is. God may be holy, but God is love. God may be everywhere present, but God is love. He may be gracious, but he is love, just like he is light and like he is spirit. This word ontological speaks to the nature or essence of something. So just ontologically speaking, which we never speak that way, right? But ontologically speaking, God is love. It's in his nature. It's in his essence, And I said before that love has zero to do with hearts and roses. It's not masculine or feminine, but it's divine. See, love doesn't come from human beings. It comes from God to humanity. It is first divine, and then it comes into our nature. Love finds its origin in God, so it's divine. Yet through Christ, love is uniquely human driving our deepest needs, desires, and passions. We say our our deepest needs. What is the need that love drives? How about the need to love and to be loved? Unless you're like, you know, a rock. Rocks don't need to be loved, and they can't love. But unless you're a rock, you probably would enjoy being loved, and you would enjoy loving others. You know, there are when you're young and you're single and you haven't found that person yet, there's, there's two things fighting within you. You don't just want to be loved, but you've got love that you want to give, right? That's, that's the image of God within us. When we want to love somebody else, when we say that it drives our desires, sometimes we can think of fleshly desires, but what I'm talking about is the desire for somebody to want to make a difference, The desire for somebody to want to be significant and matter. And that's all wrapped up in love. Without love, very little matters. And the desire, uh, our deepest passions. Again, you might think of fleshly when I say our deepest passions. But some of the deep passions of people is to help their fellow man or woman. Is to a group of people to get together and to build a hospital in some forlorn corner of, the, of, the, of a country where it could help people. 
get together and, and, and drill wells to provide clean water for people. Get together and send missionaries or go themselves to share the gospel with a group of people that have never heard. Love drives those things. You know, ever misunderstood and wrongly defined, love is still number one when it comes to songs. You know, I think, I think on my satellite radio thing, there's actually a love station. Do any of you have, is there a love, there's a love song station, right? Oh, K-Love, no, that's Christian. K-Love is Christian. No, there's one with all kinds of love songs, right? And they, they could just play love songs all day, every day, and not run out for weeks because so many songs are written about love. It's the, it's the number one topic or a theme for so many movies and so much media of the day. Uh, you look at the, if you go to the checkout counter, and well, you probably shouldn't, right? But you look at some of the media at the checkout counter, and ultimately it's all talking about love or a false version thereof that people think is love. Love is not dependent. Uh, love is not a feeling or an emotion. Emotions and feelings flow, flow from love, but are not love. They're not it. My, my like, my Twitter patient is not love. It's just being twitter pated, right? But love is a commitment, and it's a decision. We choose whether to love or not to love. So if I choose to love, I put somebody else first at my own peril. When I choose to love, I desire somebody else's best before my own. Love is not dependent on what others do for me, Rather, love determines what I'm going to do for others. So I'm going to sacrifice and you're going to sacrifice your own wants and desires to seek the best for somebody else. That's what love does. Love is not reliant on our circumstances. Love dictates our response to circumstances. And you know what? When the situation is most difficult and most, and most dire, that's when love is most called for. When things are going fine, love isn't hard. It's when things are difficult. It's when there's hardship. It's when the situation is averse to your ease and, and pleasure that love becomes hard. Love isn't heightened by an accumulation of possessions but it's proven through the sharing and distribution of what I have. Love tells me to sacrifice to bring about your best. And it's not an option in my list of life values. Love is the mandate of my new birth, regeneration, and new creation because, because love is ultimately spiritual. Love is ultimately spiritual. Paul talks about holding this treasure in jars of clay, earthen vessels, right? He's saying we have this, this treasure of the gospel, the message of God to people, and it's held in jars of clay, in earthen vessels. It's held in us. We're matter. We matter, but we're also just matter, it's when, uh, it's when Jesus said, I'm going to the Father. He'll send another comforter, 
but you guys are it, right? Last week, tag, you're it. You're the ones love is ultimately spiritual, but it's activated in our physical, temporal lives. Love does not look the other way, avoiding conflict or confrontation. It speaks the truth in love for the building up of others. That's why love isn't best illustrated by a nice, soft, fluffy teddy bear. That's not really love. Maybe an angry grizzly would be a better illustration for what you need when you love. In fact, my mom, who just this past week, they moved out of an assisted living apartment, and we had to move into uh, 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 the memory care wing. She holds this teddy bear. And when I was there last, about, I don't know, five, six weeks ago, um, we, I was in her apartment. At one point, we brought her in from the dining hall, and she sat in her chair, and the bear was sitting on the couch. So I picked the bear up, and I handed it to her, and she took it, and she put it on her lap as if to say, thank you. And she set it down, and she kind of had it sit up straighter on her lap, and she fixed the collar, fixed the hair, the fur on the back of its head. And she's looking at it, right? She kind of knows it's not real, but she kind of doesn't. She is putting her attention and affection on this little bear. And that soft, fluffy bear, for me, illustrated the toughness of love. Because when we decide to love, we tee ourselves up for pain. When we make a decision and commit ourselves in love to somebody, we're just, we're just like, a, like a golf ball on a high tee. And, and, and the, the driver is about ready to whack us. When you love, you're setting yourself up for pain. I love my mom. And to sit there and watch her in that state is painful. Many of you know this. You've gone through it. You've seen your parents or siblings go through something like that when their mind is just a little loosey-goosey. You know, it's just not, it's not all there. But in other ways, when you make a commitment to somebody... You tee yourself up for hurt when you get together with a spouse and you have a child. Well, (laughs) it's wonderful, right? Oh, we've got a baby coming. That's great. Until the baby gets older and starts doing things that you don't want the baby to do because the baby's not a baby anymore. Or they're, they're just doing great, but hardship comes into their life and it hurts you. It's painful. Or maybe they turn against you or reject you, and that hurts, and that's painful. And you watch your kids or even your grandkids or even your great-grandkids go through stuff. Why? Why? Because you loved. You loved. You did it. You decided to make another human being. And better yet, you decided to invest yourself in them and to love them. Or you said, I do, and you got married. Or you just said, I do, and that we'll go out together. And you're going out. When you're going out, you're, you're on the tee. You're on the tee. And you, you might get, you, it might be a nine iron. And it might, it might get you up a little higher at first, but it's going to be a hard landing. 
Or it could be a driver where, bam, you just don't even know what hit you. Because the person you're going out with, or, or worse, maybe the person you've committed your life to, no longer wants to commit their life. When we love, we set ourselves up for pain. So love doesn't look the other way, doesn't avoid conflict, but it speaks the truth. It speaks the truth even when it's hard for the other person. You know, love is the currency of the kingdom where the more we spend, the richer we get. It's the only currency on earth where the more you spend it, the richer you can become. And you enrich others around you as you spend the money. That's understandable. But the fact that the more you give, the more you get is amazing. And that's true with love because it comes from God and there's an endless supply. Love is the active ingredient that heals and restores broken relationships. The love found in the world is often a placebo. It looks like what love should look like, but it doesn't work. It doesn't, oh, I love you. Let's just be committed because I love you. Even though we don't share any of the same values, right? Even though we don't have any of the same priorities in life, we're just attracted to each other now in the moment, and it's so magnetic and energetic, and oh. And we set ourselves up and tee ourselves up for pain when real love, because it's a placebo love, but real love is about commitment and counting the cost, right? And deciding and, and, and working through difficult and tough stuff and knowing it's not all going to be honey and roses, but real love is the active ingredient that heals and stores relationships. For the believer in Jesus, love doesn't make a life. It doesn't make a, a, a life better. Love makes life. Love makes life. To love is to have Christ live in me. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. That Christ lives in me, and he lives his life out in me. Not, not I that live, but Christ. Love desires and commits the best to the one who is loved. That's why love involves sacrifice, service, and surrender. Sacrifice is when I give over what I have. I give over. This is what I have. I, I give it over to you and I sacrifice it. Service is where I give to others who I am. I give of myself. God made me to serve and God created me to serve and I'm going to give over myself who I am. And then surrender is where I give up what I want. I would like this goal, but you're shooting for that goal, so I'm going to put that on hold. I'm going to give it up. I'm going to surrender it to help you reach your goal. Last year I talked about the opposite of love, being self, not hate. But an absence of love produces an abundance of selfishness. In fact, the less love there is, the more selfishness will just grow up and flourish. Where we just ask, what's best for me? How can I be happy? How can I bring pleasure to myself? In the overabundance of love brings a decreasing focus on self because we're focused on others. So our lives are going to be motivated by either self or love. It's our choice. Motivated by selves, our lives are going to be empty and meaningless. 
and motivated by love, our lives are going to have meaning and significance. In uh, Matthew 22, Jesus summarized the commandments by saying, love, love God and others. But Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 12 going into 13, he describes love as the most excellent way, the best way. Here's the best way. Let me, let me show you what the best way is. We, you've got all these gifts in the body in 1 Corinthians 12, but the best way is characterized by love. Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. There are a lot of people that have a lot of words and say a lot of things. But if they don't have love, the words are empty and meaningless. And Paul calls them, some of you, most of you won't remember this, but some of you that are older remember the gong show, right? The act will start, and somebody hits that gong. That's what it is when you don't have love. If Paul says, if I have the gift of prophecy, and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, I mean, I've got it together. And if I have a faith that can move mountains, Jesus talked about, but I don't have love, Paul says, I am nothing. He's affirming the importance and the priority of love. He says, if I give all I possess to the poor, something else Jesus said to the rich young ruler, take everything you have and give it to the poor and then come and follow me. He says, if I do that and then even give over my body to hardship that I may boast, which is what Jesus did, he gave his body over to hardship, but don't have love, I gain nothing. And then thankfully he describes love. He says, love is patient. Where are these needed in your life today? Where are they needed in my life today? Patience. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't want what somebody else has. It does not boast. It is not proud. It's not filled with pride. It doesn't dishonor others. And love isn't self-seeking. It's not easily angered. And love keeps... No record of wrongs. Love doesn't delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. And it always perseveres. Love never fails. So we have to become, if we're going to follow the way of Jesus... I have to become a practitioner of love. Ever practicing, well, never perfecting. That's why Paul wrote in Romans 13, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt, ever practicing, ever paying, but never paying it off, ever paying but getting ever richer because of it, the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law because love is all about how we treat our neighbor. Love is the fundamental principle of the way of Jesus. Therefore, you and I can ask in every situation, 
What does love require? So how about for you, in your home, at your job, in your neighborhood, with your family, your extended family, at school, with your friends, on Facebook? What does love require? When we're motivated to react, what does love require? What kind of a response does love require? It's a good question. So, we're followers of Jesus. Jesus' way was the way of love. I want to follow Jesus and I want to love. And I will say, it's hard. It's hard. Love always trusts. If I love you, I'll trust you. If I don't love, I don't trust. So I withdraw and I hold back. I keep my cars close to my chest. and I don't let you see them because I don't trust you. And therefore, I can't love you. So love always trusts. Oh, we could go down this list. There's so much here. But love... Love is the foundation of our lives. And I think it's the primary direction in the way of Jesus. Next week we'll talk about um, the way of Jesus is the way of prayer. Is the way of prayer. Speaking of prayer, let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your love. Your love that gives us life. God, I pray that through your spirit, we would be a people of love. We would would be becoming more and more like Jesus. Lord, I pray that if there's one here this morning who has never before believed in you as the one who died on the cross for their sins, who showed your love for them by paying for their sins, by defeating death and hell, by rising again, the victorious Savior. God, I pray that you would work in hearts this morning of those who need to come to you by faith. And Lord, we do, we come to you by faith this morning. We believe in you, Lord Jesus, what the Bible calls, as the Bible calls you, the author and the perfecter of our faith. We ask that your spirit would empower us this week to be the church and to share love. In Jesus' name, amen.